All right, welcome into part two of show notes. We just took a really, <laughs> really long break. Um, Hours. I mean, yeah, I actually, uh, I did some grocery shopping. Did you buy any plant-based meat? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's all impossible what I bought. Good for you. Yep, uh, did my toes and um, took Excuse a nap. Excuse me? Yeah, how about you? You did your toes? Did my toes. What does little, that mean? I had a little petty. Oh, Yeah. what how, color? What's that? Well, you can see, right? Oh, bright pink. Oh. How about you? What'd you do? Um, let's see. I took a nap mm. and then I woke up and I took another nap. Sweet. Yeah. So you're refreshed and ready to go for part two of show notes. Yeah. I'm actually still asleep right now. Okay. Uh, well, why don't you kick it off as we get into feedback? So remember in part one, we talked about a whole bunch of different stuff and we went on a lot of different tangents, which required us to cut this in two. <laughs> and now we're coming right back into listener feedback directly, starting off with Awesome, eh? Our first two-part show notes. I can't believe it took three years to get here. Me neither. Wow. Wonderful. <laughs> we can still have firsts. It's beautiful in this day. Uh, so Awesome said, Dear Max in 99, this might seem like a rambling set of thoughts, but I'm making an attempt to express a lot of things on my mind and hope this could be the start of a serious conversation about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. If anything I say is inflammatory, please forgive me and tell me if I could say it better. I am a Muslim Palestinian who feels very passionate about the plight of the Palestinians, which I have witnessed firsthand when visiting occupied Palestine. I think it's time for an unfucking, for unfucking the Israeli occupation of the Palestinian people and our country's unwavering support of this 75-year atrocity. Couldn't agree more. And uh, just to give you a little timeline update, I, in the beginning of the socialism series, I was looking at both these subjects and, you know, thought in my silly little brain that <laughs> maybe I'll have room for all of it. How I'm approaching the Israel-Palestine conflict is, is to try and tease out how I can be additive and not redundant. What is the UNFTR take on this that will contextualize, educate, and maybe maybe even tease out more questions than answers. I have not been to either Israel or Palestine. I do not feel like I'm qualified to offer firsthand accounts or perspectives. There's only so much books can do. You really have to be careful about your sources and whom you decide to cite. I've been open in the past that I'm a very big fan, for example, of Abby Martin, who has done some unbelievable on the ground reporting from Gaza and from the West Bank that will, you know, make the hair on the back of your neck stand up and certainly turn your stomach. Uh, she comes at it from a, one very particular, you know, viewpoint. I spent many, many years on the board of a uh, Holocaust Memorial Center that gave me tremendous insight and perspective and did a lot of reading on why Israel have more recently begin begun to delve into, and, and it really this was kicked off doing the Carter series, of trying to understand where Egypt and Jordan and Syria most specifically fit into the puzzle. And then I guess, I don't want to call it further adjacent, but where all of the Arab nations kind of fall with respect to Palestine. There's never one side of a story. There's never strictly the Palestinian view, not just the Israeli view or even their neighbors. So trying to take this multifaceted approach as a non-Jew and as a non-Palestinian, as a, again, an ethnocentric American who is seriously, who seriously disfavors all aspects of empire and imperialism, which I do believe this is, but is respectful of self-determination and every other country's history. And as, as an Israeli friend of mine said to me, if you're going to approach this subject, and he is a he is a pro-Palestinian right Israeli who lives in the United States and has family members who still live in Israel that are virulently opposed to one another and their own particular viewpoints on the Palestinian question, as they call it, which in and of itself is an improper framing of the issue. Just to, you know, as one little nugget of how complex this is. So all of this is to say, awesome that. Um, I'm approaching it, I think, with the his, with as objective of a historical lens as I possibly can, with as human of an approach as I can possibly take, 
and an anti-imperialist, anti-capitalist approach that I think is where UNFTR is best suited to tackle this question outside of a purely human rights crisis, which it is. And I'm taking this, I'm taking this subject very, very seriously. And I'm reading literally as much as I can. I'm watching as much as I can. And I think if I was really doing this the right way, it would also involve a trip to the Middle East. I think it's that important because it's like, you know, I felt comfortable jokingly doing, um, an episode on Australia because we have we have same, similar language, similar government structures, ex experiences in the, in the world. And at the time, it was when we were putting AUKUS together and I was looking at what the nature of that type of uh, relationship might be in terms of our foreign policy as we you know build a case against China. I felt comfortable putting together uh, a piece on Canada because I've been to Canada many, many, many times and I have family that lives there. I felt comfortable talking about Cuba because I had been to Cuba. Outside of that, I'm always a little hesitant and a little reluctant to take on something that I don't have at least some, that I don't know how it looks, I don't know how it smells, and I haven't talked to people that that actually live there. So again, I'm trying to be academic and I'm trying to be really focused about it and trying to, trying to do the right thing, but asking myself the, the hard question every single time, which is like, what do I bring to the table that hasn't already been done a thousand times better by other people? And what is it that I want the UNFTR audience to know specifically about this conflict that will help elevate their understanding and their conversations in their daily lives? Yeah, I think part of it at this point also is that you have an audience of people who trust you, myself included, who, even if you're not saying anything revolutionary, they trust your sourcing and they trust that you're going to give them accurate information. I thank you. I appreciate that. I love that, obviously, because that's that's what we try to build on. And full disclosure, that has been one of the more difficult things for me to parse. Is that people. Authentic sourcing. Oh, yes. Trying to figure out. So it's never just like, oh, I know that writer. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've read them before. Oh, I attended their lecture. Oh, I, you know, I see where they go to school. And like, this is a universe of people whose backgrounds, like if you're affiliated with a think tank or an organization or an NGO, it's not just about reading that book. It's about reading all of their other stuff to understand what their perspective is, maybe who's funding them. And uh, so it's 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 new territory. A lot of this is very new territory in terms of the, the behind the sourcing. Yeah. And I think we can just like other other times rely on our own fuckers. So awesome. You can send in any sources. I mean, you sent in more than what we read, obviously, but, you know, any other sources and people you trust. And then I do think we have I know of at least one listener who moved to Israel in the time that we've started. So, you know, they can if they still listen, haven't heard from in a while, if they can send in, they know who they are, I believe. Mm -hmm. But or if we have other Israeli listeners that I have never written in before. So trusting our fuckers enough to send us in a good direction, vetting the sources, of course, because we can't take anything at face value just just because that's not that's not our style. But at least knowing that people who feel aligned with us and other things because we're going to find, you know, someone that awesome might like, might, and someone who might be against Israel. And then someone who, one of our Israeli listeners, it really, this is like just the ultimate, I don't know if Catch-22 is appropriate, but you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Without a doubt. Whatever side you pick, we're going to, you know, quote unquote, you, I'm not saying it's, there is no, you know. We're not unfucking this conflict. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> people, feathers will be ruffled. I don't know. It's it's fucking it's and I'm it's, prepared for the blowback. That's really like not my concern. I'm not saying that. Yeah, that's what you're yeah. suggesting. Um, but because there will be blowback, of course, no, no matter which more more than go. we've ever seen. Yeah, because for whatever fucking reason, almost like the trans trans rights that we were talking about, like people from wherever feel like they have the authority to have an opinion and everyone's allowed to have an opinion. Mm -hmm. But like, is your opinion based on anything other than I don't know, hatred of brown people, like right. maybe. Uh, so, you know, I, I always like to kind of reveal my starting point. And with something like this, what's what's interesting is my starting point are virtually irreconcilable feelings. And then I don't know where I'm going to land. Mm -hmm. Part of the joy of, of unfucking the Republic of this journey we're taking together is I've landed in so many places I didn't anticipate, but that's, that's called learning. My starting point here is that there is space in my brain 
involving the concept of self-determination. I believe in the right of Jews to have a homeland in a different way than any other nationality has a right to have a homeland. And at the same time, I believe that Israel today, post-war Israel, uh, post, I guess, the occupied territories Israel, that, that it is an apartheid state. And there's space for both of those things in my brain that I believe that they have the right to self-determination, meaning I believe that Jews and Israeli citizens have the right to self-determination and to have a homeland that is ethnically based more so than any other, perhaps any other ethnicity in the world. And also, I believe that they are an, an imperialist, racist, and apartheid state. I think both of those things can be true, but those are one one and one or other or both of those are highly highly controversial statements which is mm -hmm. a fascinating thing we can probably start you know when the time comes by just dispelling myths like people you know every time i see people talking about anti-semitism or even you know veering into these really palestinian conflict um, conflict feels like a small word. <laughs> Can we call it, it something bigger? It is. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because language is going to be very difficult in this because it's so asymmetrical and so massive that yeah. conflict really does down. Conflicts are like on. what happens at work when you disagree. <laughs> like That's a conflict. Right. This is like a fucking war. It's, it's no like doubt. it's like a cold war <laughs> every day. It's hot. Yeah. It's cold. It's all of those things. But, you know, like when, when I when I see people talking about this I, every time. I don't understand how a religion can be a race. People just, they don't yeah. believe or understand that like Jew, Jews, we're a race of people. Like if I did 23andMe, like Ashkenazi's gonna show up. Right. Other people, like if you did 23andMe, whatever religion you technically- Mostly caveman. <laughs> sure. But like Catholic's not gonna show up on someone's 23andMe. That's right. This is a, this is a race of people going back the the dawn there's so much level setting mm -hmm. right that needs to happen here so like that, that i mean not that we would do it in one episode but like that could even be a filler quote-unquote filler episode like as we continue socialism like i think we'd be very much able to do here's what you need to know before and let it sink in you know yeah. like you need to can you need to understand what it what does self-determination mean yeah what does zionism mean yeah. what does it mean to be a race and not a religion but also a religion what do all these things mean and i can't even speak those are all is israeli or israel centric touch points i don't know on the other side so i can't speak to it well a, a, one of my very very closest friends mm -hmm. said very plainly, who right. considers himself extreme, who considers himself to be liberal. Mm -hmm. Well, the Pal it's not like the Palestinians are a people. Right. They're not an actual people. They're they're an artificial construct of um, like, I, I don't even know. So like, where do you begin to have that conversation with somebody like that? Mm -hmm. You know. Well, um, that, I mean, this, we've talked about it before. Yeah. This, I just say that we're United States American people are an artificial construct. <laughs> that's correct. So I think that's <laughs> that's the easiest way to dispel that one. Just yeah. be like. What is anything? You're getting to philosophy now. Like right. literally, what are people? Right. What is matter? <laughs> what are what's our purpose? <laughs> you want to talk about philosophy? Different day. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, we could do. I think we can easily do that without quote unquote taking a side. Because even though we're not going to take a side, yeah. it's going to feel to people on sides without that we're a taking a side. So without taking a side, being like, here's everything you got to know. You know. But it's funny, like, and and but the second we get into self determination and the the right of return and a Jewish homeland, you will find yourself in extreme opposition to anybody on the what is considered today to be the far left. Um, that's why it's like there's no there's no consensus building ground in this, which is what makes it a fool's errand to try and like convince somebody of an absolute right or an absolute wrong. The reason that people talk about this as being the most conflicted story mm -hmm. of all time is because it is. Do you think that if, I mean, and this isn't a question you can answer like with certainty, do you think that if it were two parts, if it didn't have anything to do with religion, do you think it would be a different case? And if you think it was anyone, 
I guess I guess it's a two parts of the same question. If it was anyone but the Jews doing it, do you think like if it was I don't know like I'm trying to think of another country, any other country, do you think it, let's say like a white non-Jewish country, do you think it would be the same, or do you think we'd see it as you know just like we've taken over other countries, we'd see it as the same way we saw Afghanistan. Like, do you, do you think the religious aspect is why it's so inflammatory in society? Well, I think what you're saying, what you're speaking of, we we kind of know the answer that if you're speaking about the United States perspective and why this is a, uh, why we see it in, in such bifurcated terms here, because the rest of the world is actually, not the rest of the world, but much of the world is way more nuanced about this mm-hmm. than we are. But we have, for some reason, sort of set up I mean, it's the it's it's really it's just the the nuttiest situation ever in the United States, and that's why I have to I'm having trouble answering that directly because you've got the far right in this country aligned with Jews in our country that are traditionally considered on the left and still vote as a block on the left, except when it comes to the Israel question, you have the far right that is in many cases extremely anti-Semitic, but extremely pro-Israel at the same time. So it a lot of the our perspective on it just simply doesn't make a lot of sense in historical terms. So it's a hard question to answer unless we're just specifically talking about how ridiculous we are in the United States. If we look at the, the rest of the normalized world, I think what we find are some very, very traditional issues of power imbalances geopolitical circumstances, trade routes, canals, oil, arms, like it gets to be very real politique in other parts of the world. And then it gets into clashes. Certainly it gets into ethnic clashes when you're actually in the in the area, in the zone, if you're in Palestine proper in the Middle East. And then you have uh, uh, power structures and imbalances between what Turkish people feel about it versus Arabic versus the Persian Empire, you know, the remnants of the Persian Empire versus uh, even the Palestinian people that are sort of even an outlier among the Arabic countries in the Muslim states. So is it Islam versus Judaism? Yes. Is it a power structure between capitalist countries and imperialist tendencies? Of course. It's like it's all of these things, which makes it so fucking frustrating and fascinating to try and and break it down into a way that it's like, and I'm sorry, Max, you're offering what to this fucking conversation? Like, I don't know. I'm just saying, have we thought about taking duct tape and just going down the middle? Yeah, they did. I think Churchill did it himself. (laughs) It might not have been duct tape. It might have been, uh, it might have been a a less adhesive. uh, (laughs) Masking tape. Something like that, yeah. Didn't last. But that's a whole other thing. Like the, the just how much of this was created by imperialism post World War One, and people knew it. It's not like people didn't understand that this was going to be the next great. This was going to create forever conflict in the world. This specific dissection of the Middle East. They saw it coming, but there was oil. So, you know, the backdrop to all of this is natural resources and trade routes and- And, and, and falafel. And falafel. And th- I mean, there's a, there's a pitch battle as to who makes the the the, the best uh, baklava. Oh, I wouldn't even, I don't really associate that with like Israeli food. Baklava? No, I- But it's Persian and they think it's very different. You know, the Iranian Persians think that their baklava is much, much superior to anybody else in- in the Middle East or in the Mediterranean, for example. I mean, the baklava question is really the great question of our time. Well, what's the only important dessert, no offense, is babka. Okay, I'm a much I'm, I'm much more familiar with baklava. You've never had babka? I think I've had babka, but Go I to wouldn't Zabar's. consider myself an, an expert on that. I'd have to read up a lot about Ugh, it. Yeah. It's so good. 99's eyes just went into It's the so good. Babka? Talking about babka. People are mean about Jewish food. They say we don't have good food. Except all of you go to Jewish fucking delis. All of who? Everyone on earth in New York. (laughs) There are a lot of Jews in New York patronizing their own delis. No, non-Jewish people go to Jewish delis also. They do. It's just, it's like a matter of convenience. 
How dare you? I know. How I know. fucking dare I really, you? I really, I, I, I despise Jewish cuisine. I despise. What do you hate about? It? Name five foods you despise. Can you name five foods? Uh, just looking at the Jewish delis alone. Let's just start there, right? Because that's really kind of what we're talking about. Okay. Right? Why I don't go into Jewish delis? Tongue. That's not specifically Jewish. It's just at all the Jewish delis. That's all. Okay, right? then don't go to any butcher shop. I'm not a big fan of the the of corned beef, the giant piled corned beef. Corned beef? That's literally uh, Irish. Or pastrami or whatever the, well, the sure, red, pastrami that is, whatever the the giant sandwiches that are three feet high. Like a, make, like a like, Reuben. We just put more of it on there. How great! And it's like okay, okay. That oh, I don't count. Like you're talking about like deli meats. Like well, the, you said the Jewish delis. I'm, and I'm okay. just like I don't no, like but I said Jewish delis. You, but then the, you made the a broad statement that said and then I don't any like any Passover meal that I've ever been at is just tasteless. And I, ooh, my wife is gonna kill me because she loves making her Passover meals. I just don't get it. I'm well, just like okay. What does she make? Like brisket? Like I go, like I literally go out to eat afterwards because I'm like, Jesus. You don't like matzo balls? They're fine. But have I ever woken up and been like, God, I need a matzo ball today? You haven't had a good matzo ball ever. What are you talking about? Great, apparently, the best matzo balls because, you know, that's the other side of my my family. I get it. It's all wonderful. Every Jewish person thinks they make the best matzo balls. But if you haven't had a good one, no offense to the blank, 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 blank family. You know, I don't know. I threw out more like syllables. Crumbled up white bread and uh, like wonder bread. You think matzo? Uh, okay. I don't know. That's the honestly the worst thing you've ever done on earth is compare wonder bread and matzo. Matzo is historical. It is literally historical. Yeah. We have I a get whole it. thing about it. It's a whole thing. I know. I know. And planting crops side by side can get you executed. Like there's a lot of things from history that just don't okay. make a lot of sense to me. Continuing to eat matzah on a non-holiday would be one of them to me. I'm not, look, I'm not saying matzah is my favorite food by any measure. last time I saw you noshing on matzah in the office. Don't say noshing in the same sentence like you're an ally all of a sudden. <laughs> get out of here, you goyim. I have a card. <laughs> the half I a card. You've like, I've been to more bar mitzvahs than you have. Crumbling like a piece of matzah right now. I have a thousand percent been to more bar mitzvahs than you have. Yeah, because you're old. Baruch Adonai. Everyone knows And all that shit. Keep going. How'd I do? Lahat Lechner. Share Hanukkah. There you go. We all know the Hanukkah one, okay? We all know? Yeah. Guaranteed that 98% of this vast, great nation of ours is like, what Fine. did we just say? Fine. All I'm saying is- What are we arguing about? We're arguing about we how have, bad Jewish food is. No, we have good food and it's your right, anti-Semitic. Tell me. Matzo ball soup is great, okay? <laughs> it's not great. Yes, it's it so is. bland. It's not bland if you do it right. Okay, what else? Um, well, tongue. If I'm ta- tongue is not, I don't count, count that as Jewish. Okay, it's just at every Jewish deli. What else? It's at every- Look at you appropriating. Who, well, then whose is it? I don't know. Who the did cows. Did you steal it from? The cows. Fair. Yeah. Okay, what else? If we're going to go to desserts, Hamantaschen is great. Hamantaschen? Yeah. Rugula is great. Wait, Rugula is yours? Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, fuck you. Don't fuck me. It's it's really good. I gave you babka that. Babka is delicious. I don't know from babka. You're going to have to convince me. Hala bread on in. its own. Hala! The best bread. It's delicious. It is the best bread. You want a fucking... It's also leavened. I'm not so sure that it's yours. I find that very suspicious. The leavening was only on the running. We did things before that, <laughs> okay? Yeah. Hall is great. It's amazing. Really? Doesn't it require like millions of eggs? Yeah. To make? I can't really eat it. Thanks. I Are know. you sure that it's your people? Why? We don't eat eggs? They're literally they hard-boiled eggs at the, Passover. Uh, they make the challah? Are you... I love the challah and I love the rugula. you genuinely You've asking me if challah is challah. Jewish? You've got two. Well, I what just else? named five. I don't know from the others. That doesn't I'm, mean I'm it's granting wrong. you two right now, and then I'll do my research. What else? Um, I'm trying to think. You oh. name five. You named babka. You named I named challah. babka, rugula, rugula. matzo ball soup, nope. hamantaschen. You'll have to educate. That's me. the triangle one during Purim that has like the like apricot or like it has like yeah, a we jam don't filling. Purim. That's like deep, deep. What do you mean? Perm is like the mo- the one everyone knows. It's like Halloween. It's not the you get the little things. Knows. It was so fun in preschool. We got the little noisemaker and go like, you know, and then we made little hats. We are going to latkes. I mean, if you burn them and salt them, I mean, they're basically just hash browns. Latkes. What else? You can't take and our first food. Of all, you need if, pickles. If they're like little pieces of. Pickles. Hang tight on the pickle conversation. The the the, the latkes are just the, they're hash Yellow browns mustard. that require 
a lot of either applesauce or I don't fucking, I don't fuck uh, with applesauce or sour I don't cream. I don't fuck with that. I like a latke can be plain. Blintzes? Really? Do you just sit here and chew on cardboard in your free time too? Wait, what, what do you have against that? potatoes all of a but sudden? You dip, you dip. Blintzes? Blintzes are that's Jew cuisine. You're serious. Will you right see now. it at Sleepaway Camp? That's not fucking French. I don't a know. Blintz is not French. We see them at Sleepaway Camp. The French hate the Jews. Exactly. Why would we eat them at Sleepaway Camp? <laughs> I, I think they, I don't know. It's like when I went to Hawaii and took a picture with a parakeet. You know, I don't think it's from there. That's all I'm saying. Where are Blintz's from? Gosh, I'm probably right. It's probably fucking German. So it's probably Jewish. The Blintz originated, or origin, oh, originated. Wow. originated from <laughs> Eastern Europe from a Europe. Jewish community called Ashkenazi. Get the fuck out of here. That's what chompies.com says. And the French were like, no, it didn't. Yeah. So, okay. So I, this is what I was. Oh, knishes? Ew, I You're wrong. Knishes. You are absolutely wrong. I hate knishes. Uh, knishes your food's delicious. no good. Are you You got a couple me? good desserts and some bread. Other than that, your food's no good. Sorry. How do you bitches eat bars? Listen, I'd say the same thing to our Scottish friend. I mean, they eat like the innards and shit. And yeah, fucking, that, that's no I mean, contest here. <laughs> We're talking, that's disgusting. Yeah. This is, I'm, I'm basically giving you, I'm giving you variations of bread and potatoes, which is all of American culture. All we do here is eat bread and potatoes. The rest of it is bland, bland, bland. I'm sorry to your mother-in-law that her matzo balls aren't good, but I guarantee you. Everybody says her matzo balls are delicious. And I've had other uh, okay, matzo so balls. Okay, so you just and don't like matzo balls. Yeah, because they're bland. It's just like balled Chicken up Wonder Bread. Chicken noodle soup is bland. Up. Wonder Bread, go fuck yourself. Wonder Bread is disgusting. It's literally we, GMO bread. No. We, we've had one comment. Well, you're the one. You on. just said something absolutely blasphemous. Just truth. I'm just. I need to go get my hair scrunchy. That's how mad I am. Okay. Is it outside of the room? It is. I forgot to put it on my wrist. All right. Well, keep rolling, Manny. She's so fucking mad. She just left. Holy cow. She claims it's about her scrunchy, but. I think it's I just all about this food. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Here she comes. Well, Cynthia G said, I noticed that people are still trying to change your mind on term limits. I am solidly in your corner. Thankfully, somebody is here and would love to help you sway those who think that Jewish food is actually good. Oh, wrong. <laughs> wrong comment. Israeli salad? So, Israeli salad's and would delicious. would love to help you hummus, sway those hummus. not Jewish are you fucking kidding me? No, that I need two hands for my ponytail. I've never gotten hummus. Are you? I can't tell hummus. if I can't tell if you're fucking with me. No, right that's now. like a, that's that's. I cannot like, tell if you're fucking with me. I think the the Muslim people own all that shit. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm back to Cynthia G. Uh, I, let me introduce you to Jack Lessonberry. He's a longtime political journalist in Michigan who was canceled because he allegedly treated some women improperly. Okay, so we're gonna take this one with a grain of salt. Thank you, Cynthia G, for pointing that out before I in, you know, unknowingly quoted somebody who was uh, misogynistic. While he might have a checkered past that doesn't stain his journalist credentials, in September 2018, he wrote a short article to point out the problems with term limits, how they had a negative impact on the Michigan legislature. He brings up some other points that you haven't mentioned. So here's just a quick one from the article because I thought this was interesting. Feel free to share this link with anyone who honestly thinks it's a good idea. It stinks seriously. Ask anyone in Michigan and they'll tell you that it's made a hot mess in the state. So here's it from the article. Special interests love term limits because it gives them much more power and control. They have and will spend heavily to convince voters that term limits mean good government. And his rationale for saying this, which I thought was really interesting, is if you've got a state legislator who's got six or eight or 10 years that they can do this, first of all, nobody goes into a career thinking, hey, I'll do this for six years. So you're gonna reduce the amount of credible people that wanna get into this as a profession. But on the flip side of that, it also makes them really, really easy targets for lobbying. And he gives a lot of examples. And in Michigan, apparently, this became a really big problem of people that would go in for a very short period of time, have a specialty in the legislature, pass some legislation because they knew that waiting for them on the other side was a lobbying job or an industry job that highly related to the thing that they were elected for a cup of coffee to go represent. So it didn't didn't give them enough time to like see the whole picture or get into it for the right reasons. So. Uh, I just thought that was interesting that special interests are the ones that are promoting this idea that 
term limits equals good government. And um, I have no choice here but to hand this over to 99, who I think <laughs> has just unearthed a bit of hummus lore. So we're going to have to sit through that <laughs> well, before we get to Rafe Raff's comments. actually so. funny because <laughs> they don't seem to know exactly where it came from. Maybe the 13th century. I don't know. Maybe Egypt. Maybe just the Middle East. But there is Israeli-Palestinian conflict in the hummus comments. Oh, this is on hummus 101. Oh no. Hummus is a Middle Eastern dish. It originated with Arabs. It is not Israeli. <laughs> oh, they can claim it all they want, but it's the Palestinians' presence. Dot dot dot. That's the meta description for that. Oh. There's literally hummus is not Israeli in the sense of Jewish. It is Palestinian in the sense of native. Native to Palestine. Just surely it's the olive trees, blah, blah, blah. This is wow. a microcosm. It is. I did not realize hummus was opening this wound. I really like hummus a lot. It is, if it is not traditionally Jewish, it is a, an adopted food by us. Okay. They some If you go to a, a street vendor and you're getting a food cart falafel, it's going to have hummus on it. Yep. Israeli falafel, the Israeli salad, which is like the cucumbers and the tomatoes and the I'm onions. not trying to provoke you. Are you also claiming the falafel? Um, I don't know. I think it's like one of those things that everyone has their own version. Who started? <laughs> Falafel. What's next? Are you going to take the gyro? No, I don't want that. <laughs> Can we get into Ray Fraff's comment? The theories are maybe Egypt. Okay. But I don't know. I suppose Israel, you know, since it built Egypt, it's just it belongs to you, right? Middle Eastern. Okay. So that's why, like, Lebanese people have their own falafel, Greek falafel. So you of Ashkenazi descent, are you going to be able to claim that Middle Eastern portion of the of the the no, menu didn't we all like sort of come from there where uh, there i think we all came from africa there we go middle east <laughs> so let's talk rafe raff because we haven't heard from him in a while i know rafe raff said they've been behind a little bit that's okay yeah it's good to see rafe raff yeah name. you haven't missed much same old, same old max in 99 <laughs> So uh, Rafe Raff said, I'm, I'm behind a bit. This is, of course, our fault because we've made Rafe Raff discover so many great podcasts like Best of the Left, Boom. Straight White American Jesus, and Pitchfork Economics. Uh, I don't think we've mentioned this, but Rafe Raff said, we might have already mentioned this in most recent episodes, but I guess I'll find out months later. There are riots yet again in France, this time about police violence. This one hurts and hits very close to home. I mentioned in previous emails that while I'm Australian, I did migrate from France, I'm French born, to here less than a decade ago. Politicians and pundits calling for the violence from riots to cease grind my fucking gears. We wouldn't have these riots without police violence. Yes, violent riots are bad. There is no question about it. And I don't celebrate them. But like the article mentions, and this is an article from The Guardian, quote, riots are the language of the unheard. And that was from MLK. Max, you were talking about cautionary tales. While police violence predates Macron, he's certainly been a huge enabler of it. And if left to his devices, I think he will bring France closer to the ultra neoliberal nightmare that the U.S. has become. What's fascinating about France is uh, it, it's a tinderbox. It is, it's never just the one thing that sets something off, that there's always something else that's bubbling below the surface that um, that eventually works its way through. And then there's a moment where things snap. So the shooting of a young unarmed man, I believe, by a police officer yes. is what set it all off. But there were already people in the streets and have been now for the last couple of years and I should say this, there are always people in the streets in, in Paris. It is truly, in the modern democratic era, the last couple hundred years, it is the seat of revolutionary spirit in so many different ways. So there's always unrest because the people, the French people seem to have a different sense of working class rights and individual liberties than almost every other developed democratic nation. So you had people in the streets post COVID with high unemployment and the government not doing enough to satisfy basic human rights. You had people in the streets constantly over wages and labor and the government attempting to take away certain um, uh, benefits and part of the, and trying to dismantle the welfare state as Macron continues to pursue a neoliberal agenda a little bit late, but he's certainly doing it. Uh, and now you have police violence. But the other piece of what's always bubbling, or at least has been for the past several decades, is the immigration question. 
So you have a lot of French that also behave very, very badly in terms of immigration. At the same time, they have an inordinate influx of immigrants compared to a, a lot of other nations simply by their geography and, and where they where they are. So they have to deal with it to a much greater extent than a lot of the other countries that are further inland. Now you even see Scandinavia is beginning to fall apart because there's nowhere for a lot of the migrant populations to go and they're they're finding their way all over Europe. But France really has taken an influx of especially Muslim immigrants and that are job seekers, that are looking for a new life, that are just doing what all immigrants do and trying to increase their station in life and, and have more opportunity. But it is a, it's kind of a racist society. It's an, uh, there's a lot of uh, Islamophobia. There's a lot of anti-Semitism that runs through French circles and on the streets. There's a, a strain of working class that is aligned with those sentiments. There's a strain of working class that is aligned with far left sentiments. You cannot paint France with a single brush. It is not a monolith, like most cultures, but it always seems to be closer to the edge than, than most places. So Rafe Raff, I appreciate you bringing it up right now. We're not hitting it specifically in current events through what we're covering, but I will tell you that a significant piece of this and the next episode of our socialism series is going to talk about the nature of the French revolutionary spirit and how it informed the growth of socialism, especially when we begin to talk about Proudhon, who is our transition point from Marxism to anarchism. It's really fascinating stuff. And uh, Paris, in so many ways, is the gateway for all of that revolutionary activity. But our thoughts are certainly with the French people as they work through this. And um, it's we can certainly tell you from experience over here in the States that we've been there. And it's a very painful process to go through when you're when you're when your streets are being, uh, you know, alighted. But because it, it all stems from a, a, a true power imbalance and social injustice. So thank you for chiming back in, Ray Raff. Great to hear your voice. Glad you're catching up. One word before we continue. Yes. Bagels. OK, so now you've. You kind of mic dropped on that because you're hitting me in the New York heart. Mm-hmm. We're at Not For Pizza. It's our other great export from New York. I mean, we do two things really, really well. We do bagels well, we do pizza well. And that's how I, I do have a longstanding belief that Jews and Italians are the same people yeah. once they come to New York. And Greek people. We all sort of blend. Sort of blend. I, I feel like I can always... Well, yeah, I mean, pizza bagel as a term for, for I feel like it, a Jewish it, Italian exists for a reason. Yeah. I don't think there's like a, like a... I are, think that you so, sort of side-eye the Greek sibling, though. Like when the Greeks and Italians get together, they're like, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, everyone the, hates Italians each other. Yeah. Like no, all yeah. people hate each other anyway. Yeah. But... It's true. So... Okay. You're welcome for bagels. Jenny S. said, my partner walked in to find me weeping on the couch after I read the Supreme Court's ruling denying the Navajo people's rights to water. The Colorado River Basin is in a crisis, with states clawing each other's eyes out for every drop. And our country just told a sovereign people group that they have no rights to the same basic human needs as the rest of the country. I'm not sure a word exists in the English language for how I feel about this, but I was looking forward to knowing you would commiserate at least, Max. You covered the native rights adoption case so closely. Why the radio silence on this much more important topic? Well, I won't say it's more important because of the native adoption case. All of the things that could have gone wrong from that particular ruling was was cataclysmic to native sovereignty. So I won't say that it's more important. I would just say it's it's as important and, and different. Uh, one is a purely political construct uh, being the native adoption case that had political ramifications that ultimately came back into a human rights story. And uh, what's happening with the ongoing environmental catastrophe that relates to our mismanagement of natural resources and public policy very deliberately because of the, the, uh, the overwhelming corporate influence over what happens with our natural resources is a, is a pure tragedy. And it always shows up first in in those that have the least among us. So in these marginalized community, especially in the native communities, we will see and 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 are seeing the ravages of climate change first because they have the 
worst infrastructures already and so much of the productive natural resources and assets that were once under their supervision and their and their their guidance their stewardship has been taken away and so they don't have any any ability to reclaim the stewardship of these vital vital areas the colorado river basin is fascinating in particular because it is the source of water for multiple states which means that there's no way to fix this without federal intervention it's not the native territories can't fix this because they are so segregated from the rest of of the power base the individual states each have their own claim to it you have corporate involvement that is multi-state and interstate so the only way to solve that crisis it would again be through a centralized planned intervention but you know those haven't in the past when you get the army corps of engineers involved for example it doesn't necessarily work out all that well so it's really fucked and and you have my you have my ear jenny you certainly certainly have my sympathies and i am commiserating with you on that and i think as we exit the uh you know some of the planned uh pieces that we have and can really pay attention back you know and pour ourselves back into climate which is going to just get more and more important as we go on uh that's certainly something we'll touch on so thank you so richard c said on the topic of how to refer and cope with the changes asked of us by the emergence of transgender neighbors and friends my child identifies as non-binary. They started off as identifying as gay and made their way through their own self-discovery. So I've been through it. When it comes to deal with trying and failing to come up with the correct pronouns, I even occasionally refer to my wife as they and it has crept into almost all of the relationships and resistant folks are noticing and objecting less and less. The goal has to be growing past the special status that is conferred on the vanguard of any big change and to begin treating trans folks like everybody else. What I mean by that is when someone snaps at me for making in good faith some social mistake, I snap back. Mistakes should be met with grace. Eventually, we will need to come to a place of normalization so that dickish behavior is dickish behavior and that nobody's exempt from being called on the carpet. For now, they, I think they being like uh, the younger generation, because this was in response to a couple weeks ago. For now, they're the vanguard of change and we could be a little more patient. But the reflexive is also true. We deserve a little patience as we attempt to come to grips with a change we didn't ask for. Yeah, so the, I think this is um, kind of a response to the ongoing conversation that you and I have about language and and the difficulty that I've had uh, wrapping my head around new language and you know and trying to incorporate it less so here and more into my daily vernacular, which I find more and more difficult because you get late once you leave this and you're not thinking as deliberately about what you're saying every minute of the day, you sort of get this uh, you know your your reflexive habits kick in and you know. It's difficult, but it's not it's not impossible. And, and as 99 is always, you know, instructed, it's like it's kind of the minimum, you know, starts with language. And that's also kind of the minimum. But how can you have how can you see a person clearly or or honor their existence if you can't at least make the attempt? And for most for the most part, people don't really freak out when you misgender them or or if you are coming from a a clear position of like an authentic human, human, human position. Yeah. It's when you respond poorly to being corrected to it, that everything gets intensifies, you know, then it gets weird. Yeah. It's more, it's about if, as long as you're not using someone's dead name on purpose to like make a point, like sometimes people will try to, you know, as much as I fucking think Caitlyn Jenner sucks, she's like a terrible figure and does nothing for progress, like I'm still gonna honor her identity. I'm not gonna use her dead name right. just to make a point and be like, well, you don't deserve that. Like everybody, no matter what, deserves to be called what they wanna be called. I don't even like calling it preferred pronouns anymore. You know, it's so fucked up. I'm glad you just said that. It's so fucked up to think about, like because, because she's a conservative and brought on conservative talk shows where in one side, they will dead name other people and talk out against against trans issues and all this kind of stuff. But because she's conveniently conservative when they need to prop her out, they would never think of dead naming her. No, she's literally anti-trans. Like she is anti-trans everything. She, she'll be like, well, yeah, I'm trans, but the epidemic is like, she'll agree with, you know, people are making their kids trans or it's a phase. Like she agrees with this stuff. And I don't know how much like I, her stature in the world as like, being a reality show person and like, I don't know, a very odd 
trajectory through life of like Olympian to Kardashian figure. And then like now running for office is like a weird. Yeah. So I don't know what she actually believes, honestly, or what's convenient for her platform. But you can be trans and be a fucking asshole. Of course. You're a person. Yeah. (laughs) It's just you wouldn't expect to be trans and be to hate other trans people. But I, you know, there are women who hate other women and gay people who hate other gay people. So nothing's. Yeah, nothing's out of Alan question. West and Candace Owens, you know, trying to take the, you know, the black liberation movement backwards by a hundred years in this country too. Candace Owens is, she, there's, um, let me pull She's up She's a name. special kind of asshole. There's too. a, an influencer. Let me find his name. He's me. His Instagram handle is Matt XIV. And he posted something the other day about, uh, did you see the Jonah Hill thing that happened? Yes. So... Tell me he's so fucking annoying now. <laughs> well, I had to sit. I sat through that fucking documentary because my wife wanted to watch it, and I wanted to fucking punch myself. That's in the why face. it's actually more insidious. Because here he is making this documentary about mental health, and now he's like weaponizing the word boundaries to just be like, "Don't be a model. Don't hang out with other men. Don't hang out with women who are you know quote how unquote, that affects my mental health." Yeah, like, like that's oh buddy. Maybe you should leave the relationship then. Like, what did you think? She's a surfer and then a model. Did you think she's going to stop? And like, you see the pictures that he was objecting to? Dude? Yeah, they're she was fucking, surfing. Right, doing her sport. I like she, the one where she was awesome. like, not a thong, but K to him. Because he was like, you're asking out a thong. And she said, not a thong, but K. And I said, good for you. It's the little things. Yeah. But um, Candace Owen obviously, you know, has to chime in on everything and said something like, she said, there's nothing wrong with his like text messages, but there's plenty wrong with women in society, you know, whatever. But someone like responded to, to this guy, Matt, and said, I wish it was on his story, but it's gone. She said something like, you object to everything Candace says to like legislate for the gays or like she said something that was like honestly hilarious. And I'm if you don't follow, um, I think he, he goes by he they. Uh, his bio is friendly queer Jew with very long nails. Oh. I mean, that's an ally to me. Yeah, no doubt. You know, <laughs> hitting in all my <laughs> spots. But um, his page is full of like Candace Owen tweets because she's comments on everything. Yeah. How what a what a smart woman she must be to know everything about everything. Yep, everything. She's got to take on everything. But yeah, it was. He's really annoying now, and it's just it's frustrating to me. I mean, it's like it just shows me. Did you? He's actually the guy that he was pretending to be in in this is the end. He's that probably, you know. (laughs) Yeah, bang bang. Um, (laughs) He. uh, I'm sorry, but that movie's so goddamn. I actually just recently rewatched it. I mean, it's definitely got some like problematic. It's so problematic. Yeah, but it is the devil having a giant cock. That's not problematic. The rewatchables was talking about. uh, They just did it, and uh, half of the show was talking about how much Danny McBride took over that fucking movie. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, trying to imagine that without Danny McBride, it's just not a good movie. It's just it's just whatever it is, you know? Yeah, I mean... He's, the, uh, he's, he's just everything. Emma, no, Emma Watson took it. <laughs> she, Yeah, I think they gave her the heat check. Hermione just stole her fucking in, food. Yeah, she came in for such a short period of time and then took over the scenes. But yeah. he just, he's such a force of And nature. Rihanna gets to slap Michael Sarah. That's great. Oh, Michael Sarah. Michael you know, Sarah's too much. Yeah, but I mean, the whole thing is like, oh, Jonah Hill's gay. So it's like, that's quote unquote funny, you know? So there's definitely some things. I still think Sinkhole de Mayo is the funniest thing (laughs) they've ever said. Um, (laughs) Yes, Sinkhole de Mayo. Um, Fuck, what was I just going to say? Jerking off like a pilgrim is still, (laughs) that that scene is just amazing. Oh, wait, it was something about Candace. And Matt, 14. Oh, what I was saying is it just further proves that like everybody's bad, you know, like mm-hmm. you never meet your heroes or see yeah. their private text messages. Yeah, no doubt. And um, did you see the the thing, the Trump thing that just happened? No. That he was at a Jack White posted about it. Trump stopped by a UFC fight. Did you see that? No. On Saturday. And he was spotted talking to a number of celebrities, including Joe Rogan, hmm. Mark Wahlberg, Mel Gibson, and Guy Fieri. Oh my God, people are, what a collection. People are really upset about Guy Fieri because he was one of the good ones so far. What a collection. He had no, a, I thought Guy Fieri was canceled over... Uh, I don't think so. When was he canceled? I What was he canceled over? What'd he do? I'm not a huge Guy Fieri head. My roommate loves him. I told her it was a little funny. And she said, don't talk to me. 
Guy Fieri canceled. He faced accusations of homophobia. That's not good. I'd never heard about that. He might have been a terrible boss. This is an article on Mashed. Guy Fieri and Anthony Bourdain once sparred. Oh, God. Yeah. I don't, can, listen, I don't want to give, I mean, this is unmashed, right? I, oh, I don't you want, give, I'm on the um, same one. Yeah, I don't want to look at but, the... But listen to this sentence. <laughs> Back in 2012, Bourdain mocked Fieri's new Times Square restaurant on an episode of the radio show, Opie and Anthony. Oh, God, <laughs> what a, go. What a dated sentence. Bum, bum, bum. So that was them sparring. Okay. He apparently can't stop himself from making inappropriate jokes. I mean... I don't, I don't want to put this article. I don't know. None of these scenes. I mean, one of them is here. Guy Fieri's restaurants might have bad hygiene. Yeah, and that he know, maybe but. fought his hairdresser once. I would fight my hairdresser if my hair looked like <laughs> that, too. But, um... Uh, well, anyway, I will say... But now he's canceled, in my eyes. The only credit I can give Rogan for the past several years is that... <laughs> He refuses to have Trump on, and Trump has begged to be on the show. Yeah, begged. well, you know, and people he, were trying to get him to even moderate a debate, and he won't do it because he's a Bernie fan. So, sure. And, oh yes, he voted for Bernie. He, he promotes Bernie. Outward, uh, you know, but now he's hobnobbing. Uh, no, no, no. Second it, time I've used so that much word. More Recently. problematic about him. But that's why I say the only credit I can give him with respect to Trump is he refuses to platform him on his show. To me, which that is a good feels thing. like Whereas a, he's platform Bernie. It feels like but a now last... he's platforming RFK. So, you know, yeah. it sort of evens it out. He's you know? I feel like his Bernie, maybe he liked Bernie at one point, but I felt like I feel like his ploy would be to hold on to Bernie, to, to hold on to those men that are still sort of on the left, but are like maybe going to get folded into the Rogan verse. Like, that's the only reason I could see him aligning with that now i th i think that he is way more bernie than trump until a better libertarian option comes forward and he has come forward and his, his name is rfk jr that's his legal name yes and thy name is rfk <laughs> but yeah so um so never meet your heroes rod luke is, is that it, fair yeah rod it's, luke? it's rodney k but oh. I realized he signed his email with Rod Luke and I oh, didn't want to not honor that nickname. Hey, Rod Luke said, yo, Max, thanks for the ooh child moment. Hearing that tune again brought back memories. Ooh child was the best tune that typified the hope that I felt we were going to come out of it. Okay, I guess not. <laughs> that reminds me, 99's memoir of her middle and high school years syllabus is correct. It was the same syllabus used in the 1960s. Civics was covered in our history classes. Seventh grade was New York State. Eighth grade was U.S. history. Both touched on civics. It wasn't until our junior year when we went back to U.S. history that also had classes in politics and government. It was in those classes we learned civics. Maybe that's where the change in the conversation was made. So this refers back to a conversation you and uh, 99 and I were having and kind of sort of questioning like, hey, whatever did happen to civics as I, a course? I think someone wrote in about it. Yeah. And that's so that that all tracks. That all makes sense. Yeah. And then Pete M said, when I was a high school senior in 1980-81, we had American government, which taught the structures and mechanisms of federal, state and local government. Three branches, checks and balances, qualifications to run for president, that kind of stuff. From talking with older friends, Civics had all of that, plus it included material about civic virtues we should display as Americans, and it was intentionally broadly favorable of the American government. Quote, in a representative democracy like ours, the government isn't something separate from us. We are the government, end quote. Obviously, as the neoliberals started to influence curriculum, all of that had to go. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and then Dan M. followed up with, Greetings, comrades. Really enjoying the tightened up YouTubes and the expansive podcast socialism deep dives where I'm learning a lot and creating a reading list that will probably outlive me. That's how I feel too, Dan. Here's a couple of other titles you might enjoy. Uh, highlighting these because this is interesting. This is going to, I think, really be of use when we get into some of the post-series tributary episodes that relate to something far more specific. One of them, for example, uh, being Black Marxism. Uh, that's something that's been called out by a couple of listeners specifically. So I'm, I'm excited to dig into that topic. So Dan M. recognizes, I haven't read these, haven't vetted these, but we're putting it out there because Dan is a loyal unfucker and we trust the source here. Organized Fight Win, Black Communist Women's Political Writing by Sharice Burdenstelli and Jody Dean. How We Get Free, Black Feminism and the Kambahi River Collective, edited by Kianga Yamata-Taylor. Class War USA, Dispatches from Workers' Struggles in American History by Brandon Weber. And My Mother Was a Freedom Fighter by Asia Monet. Thank I would have you. said that as Aja. Aja? Maybe. Okay. I don't know. Um, like the Seely Dan. Aja? 
Uh, so yeah, personal bias. I knew in Asia uh, that was spelled that way. Um, but that knowing was, the parents, it's probably Aja. That was in line for my middle name. Aja? Mm-hmm. Really? After that. It's very pretty. The album. With your current first name? With, I like, believe, I believe so. Yeah. That doesn't roll. It's the, yeah. I don't think so. Okay. I, I mean, I don't know. 99 Aja. <laughs> That's good. 99 Aja. That works. 99 Aja. Have you legally changed your first name to 99 yet? I didn't have to. I was born that way. Right. That's why I'm surprised no one's found me yet. Interesting. 99. Just look me up in the <laughs> yellow pages. Maybe they're spelling it with a D. Or the white pages. Which one? Which one is people? White. Hmm. Racist. So racist. Dan G, not Dan M. Over on Facebook. Over on the Facebook said, Dear Max, I know one of your favorite clips is former libertarian candidate Gary Johnson asking, Manny. And what is Aleppo? What is Aleppo? Well, now we have some competition. Oh, yes, I saw this. This is so great. Oh, God, this is so painful. We have some competition with 2024 presidential candidate Miami Mayor Francis Suarez. When asked by a journalist if he would be talking about the persecuted ethnic group, the Uyghurs, in his presidential campaign, he proudly stated, the what? What's a Uyghur? Will you be talking about the Uyghurs in your campaign? What, the what? The Uyghurs. What's a Uyghur? Okay, we'll come back to that. Following that, with a promise to look into them, Suarez then asks, what did you call it? A weeble? <laughs> Fuck me. You gave me homework, uh, Hugh. I'll, I'll look at what uh, was it. What did you call it? A weeble? The Uyghurs. You really I'll, need I'll to know about the Uyghurs, Mayor. This man wants to be our president. Oh, God, it was it was a beautiful moment. Uh, and it ranks up there with what is Aleppo and definitely ranks up there with Rick Perry forgetting which agency he wanted to cut, even though it was one of the cornerstones of his campaign. The third agency of government, yeah. I would I would do away with the education, uh, the uh, <laughs> commerce. I, I, commerce, and let's see, I can't. The third one, I can't. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. This was actually one of the things I was thinking of when I asked you about Israel Palestine, about like, would we care about it? Because remember, this was like they were a buzzword for like three weeks, and now no one cares yeah, about them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's like we have there's so many other global conflicts happening. Conflicts. That's what I almost said. That it's like, why this one? Why don't we just focus? Why don't we all put our energy into this instead? Into the weebles. (laughs) And that, you know, uh, again, I know know. you don't have to. I just. But it, but it's true. And, And so whenever somebody talks about like, you know, why don't you do this or that? And it's like. Uh, especially with uh, the war in Ukraine. It's like, well, you tell me what's happening in Congo. Really, what's going on in Sudan? Do you care about any African nation? Nope. And I saw somebody had posted uh, something the other day about like, that's cool. Can you name five uh, of the greatest African leaders? Oh, yes. And they all said Nelson Mandela. Right. Uh, Or... Um, oh, it was an Insta- it was an Instagram was ad Insta? for a, for a new show that's coming out. Yes, that's what it, it looked was. really good. Yes, I wish I I did I save it or screenshot it. But but again, like I'm like, well, I know Marcus Garvey was the promoted Pan Africanism, but he was American, so that's ridiculous. I know Shaka Zulu because that was a fucking big movie when I grew up. But I, you know what? Outside of Nelson Mandela and outside of some, you know, great Egyptian leaders from from yesteryear, I, I couldn't, I, you know. So my own biases were were right there, and it's the stuff I try to admit to. But this way, everybody's like, "Oh God, the war in Ukraine," and they're, they're you're pro Russia, you're pro Ukraine, you're pro this. This is uh, this is the future of of democracy on the globe. It's like really on the globe. So you you know pick pick a spot on the planet. And you will find a history of imperialism, of colonialism, of racism, and and of destruction that uh, that you really should be educated about before you toss your opinions out in other places. But if you are running for president, you should and and uh, you should have a pretty good idea of, of who the Weebles are. After all, they wobble. Weeble, they don't fall down. That's right. I I was trying to find the name of the show that we were just talking about that we both saw this Instagram ad for. Um, I can't find it, but if anyone On fuckers, knows, if you know it, send it in. Yeah. Please let us know. It's bothering both of us. So we're, we're, we're in the phases of wrapping up. We had one from Tim V. 
Uh, who's excited to hear your take on this, Max? So the other dis- the other day, I decided to check on another podcast I like to listen to, Capital Isn't. It's quite an interesting podcast, but not as deep and thorough as yours. Thank you. Most of the time, their guests are interesting to listen to, but the most recent one, oh boy, it was a real challenge of my ability to hear out an opposite opinion. And I can't lie, I almost failed. The guest was the infamous Phil Graham. Gosh, what an entitled old fuck. So he had some uh, some of his genius ideas made Tim think of the following. Republicans are pushing this country to a neo-feudalism. Not sure if this term is legit, I just made it up. Where corporations are new feudal lords and the rest are their peasants. Yeah, I like that thought, by the way, Tim. Uh, neo-feudalism, that's pretty great. Phil Graham and his horrible, horrible partner in crime, his wife, Wendy, are two of the most evil figures in modern history that nobody knows. I don't say nobody. It's just that they're not, you know, they're not like the Koch brothers. They're not infamous like, you know, uh, Betsy DeVos or, you know, anybody like that on that neoliberal uh, shitbag scale. But Phil Graham and Wendy Graham have probably gotten more bullshit done to tear the country apart from a legislative and a think tank perspective than just anybody. I mean, I think she was the head of Mercatus Center for a long time. She may still be. Uh, Phil Graham, you know, uh, famously passed all that uh, legislation at the at the eleventh hour of the Clinton administration to uh, uh, to rip apart Glass Steagall. You know, just just terrible, terrible, bought and sold by the corporate class. Awful people. I'm sad that he still has a platform, but I'm certainly happy he's no longer a senator. Uh, and as we close this out, and thank you, Tim, for sending that in. I appreciate you. We're going to hop on over to YouTube for a couple of quick comments. First, we've got Brandon Sheffield 9873, who said, thank you for pointing out the evils of socialism, which does nothing to promote individualism. Individuality is what makes us human. Group thinker herd mentality is what animals do. Capitalism is the best mode that supports individual effort and idealism. As long as humans have individuality, socialism will fail. Not having individuality is slavery. So, Brandon Sheffield, I know that you are tongue-in-cheek in making this statement and talking about socialism as being a form of slavery. That would be the Ben Shapiro model of thinking about uh, socialism through history. A lot of theorists believe that socialism is actually the way to provide liberty because it uh, frees you from the evils of uh, wage slavery, which is a, a construct that uh, we can trace back to uh, Mikhail Bakunin and Karl Marx specifically. Uh, But then you had people like Proudhon and Bakunin themselves who leaned further into anarchism, which is actually what I think you are promoting here, because individuality is really the core of anarchism. It's about having a stateless society where liberty is is valued above all, and we can uh, make our way in the world as individuals with total liberty. So Brandon Sheffield didn't know it, but seems like you, my friend, are an anarchist. At Vincent Kyle, not going to lie, though, this family of Philadelphia Jews would totally rock a shirt of that team logo. Referencing, of course, my uh, the native mascots piece on YouTube that talks mm-hmm. about uh, <laughs> would you root for the Philadelphia Jews? Well, actually, there are some Jews in Philadelphia that actually would do that. But they were obviously doing this as tongue in cheek. Dang MLRXD, to close it out, said, wonderful show. Great coffee. Love you, folks. Can't express how much I've learned. But I don't like how you use Myriad. I've always thought it was to be used like a myriad of. Have I been wrong about this all time too? No, you're not wrong about it. You can use it both ways. The more traditional way is to think about myriad as being synonymous with numerous. So you wouldn't say a numerous of, you would say numerous blank. But a myriad of has become more common in modern nomenclature. So you can use them interchangeably. I've always felt it more comfortable to use it in the traditional sense because that's how I grew up reading it and then coming to understand it as opposed to the more modern applications of it. Uh, But there you go. And uh, 99, why don't you rip through our memberships and donations because these are the people that keep us doing the voodoo that we do and we thank you so much. Yes, so Ginger K is now a member. RWO living in a red plain state. Wow, look, look at you. It took me a minute. I was saying I was reading as oliving. <laughs> I was like, what about olives? So RWO living in a plain red plain state is now a member. Polysci major who campaigned for McGovern during oh, cool. Spring Bank. Spring Bank. Spring Bank. Discovered your podcast a couple months ago. Love it. Uh, that's Tom McGovern, obviously. He was running a campaign. Right. Yes. yes. Of course. Um, yes. <laughs> Tim V is now a member. 
video and they clarified to me it's it's not video ang it's like engineer like video eng oh okay yeah video eng alex is now a member librarian af is now a member long form intelligent commentary hell yeah uh, we're here from Puerto, Puerto Rico. What's wrong with me? Every time you make me rush, I get self-conscious. It's fine. Maria from Puerto Rico brought seven coffees. Please don't ever get rid of show notes. People who don't enjoy them can just skip them. Sometimes uh, you talk of inane stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to get to the one that said, That's how fun. else would we know what a fuckboy fuck fuck hair means or that a bee in your bonnet is not a V in your vomit? <laughs> and then, how could we know that Max may have a nice butt hidden away in 90s mom bootcut jeans? Lordy, that image seriously had me laughing out loud. We love the community and show notes. Other listeners off, often thoughtful comments as well as your thoughtful responses. And it's the soul of the community. Don't worry, we're never going to get rid of it, I think. Um, Just kidding. No, definitely not. No, of course. And then Dave T has sent in a few emails. I'm going to read this one. It'll be our closing closing thing. So this is Dave T from Hold Fast. Hold Fast! Who are our resident Celtic Irish punk band. Still waiting for a new theme song from Hold Fast. Yeah, they, uh, Dave bought three coffees. So you haven't read any of my comments through the website contact form. So I guess I have to buy you coffee to be heard. I say that in jest, but I can't bring myself to use emojis to punctuate the sarcasm. <laughs> I'm the only guy in Holdfast who actually has the temerity to use his real name. <laughs> the captain and McHaggis can eat farts. See my previous comments. I've been trying for a year to catch up. Because I'm a completist and you talk so much, it's slow going. I'm still listening to the Carter epilogue show notes and you are yet again discussing the culture war platform on the right. And I have to add my two cents. A while ago, you asked on Fuckers for Thoughts and who is writing up the plan, who's in the room where it happens. I submit that with a few exceptions in the re- in the realm of economic policy where rich assholes actually stand to make money. All of this bullshit is literally just memes, as 99 puts it, and the original sense of ideas circulating in the culture. Such a sage that 99 is. The loudest voices among the Republican political class are the least fit for office. They are simply not equipped for the hard work of governance and bureaucracy. But you know what's easy? Yelling at people and blowing dog whistles. To me, deeper political analysis is not necessary. All you need are Occam and Hanlon's razors. There is no coordinated messaging on anti-LGBTQ plus issues, on reproductive rights, or any of this other shit. There's just the jealousy of seeing someone else get media attention for spewing hate, wanting to get in on the action. Doesn't take a shadowy cabal of evil masterminds to explain why Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott always seem to be yelling about the same stuff or why MTG and Bobert are running the same playbook. They're competing with each other, and that doesn't require a coordinated strategy. End of rant. I couldn't care less about Tombstone. Oh, why do you have to throw that in there? Such an awesome comment, and you gotta end it with shitting on Tombstone. Best Western of all time. Stand by it. I think it's the Howard Johnson of all time. (laughs) Really? Yes. Hey, Dave T., with the temerity to use your real name, thank you for writing in. That totally wasn't necessary to buy us coffee, but you knew that. And thank you. We also hadn't been answering you because we've been on break for three weeks. That's true, too. He probably didn't realize because he's not caught up yet. He's like, what the fuck? These people aren't answering me. We're sorry. They're ignoring me. They're ignoring me so much. They're not even releasing episodes (laughs) anymore. Um, And we cannot abide by the comment of the Captain of McHaggis eating farts. Uh, They're they're part of our community as well. But what if they like farts? Um, They Listen, they might. I mean, uh, guys, seriously. Can we get a theme song? Yeah, or just a song like something to UNFTR. Yeah. They tagged us in a video of them playing a Billy Bragg song. Which is super cool. Yeah. Yeah, because it was a union punk show. I love that. And that is it for now. Unfuckers, yes. we have spoken for long enough. Thank you for coming along in this journey with us. And we will catch you in the next episode, which is part three of Socialism. Bye.